Hello, I'm Dr. Annaline Weston, Dental Legal Consultant at Dental Protection. Welcome to Risk Bites, a series of podcasts created specifically for dental practitioners in Australia. Risk Bites looks at the key dental legal risks and issues affecting dental practitioners across Australia and provides helpful advice and guidance on how to steer clear of them, leaving you free to provide safe and high quality dental care for your patients. I'm joined today by my colleague, Dr. Kieran Kashwara, and we're going to talk about treatment expediency with privacy compliance. And Kieran, I think one of the first questions many listeners are going to have is, what is expediency? I think one of the questions that many listeners will have is, what is expediency? And thanks to my friend Google, I found out that expediency comes from the word expedient, which, and I'm sorry if I sound like I'm trying to cast a spell, is derived from the Latin expedientum, meaning beneficial. The word can have a negative connotation and can be taken to mean doing something in the most convenient and advantageous manner, even though it may be against conventional wisdom and ethics. But for the purpose of this podcast, we will talk about treatment expediency. In other words, providing appropriate and timely care to a patient. And as we know, timely can be a question of judgment. Do you need to immediately refer a patient with that big, red, aggressive-looking ulcer that they have on their tongue, or do you think it can wait? Or does the young child who attends with stained fissures need to have a fissure sealant or filling place straight away? When does privacy compliance come into this, Karen? At the same time as talking about the need to provide treatment quickly or expediently, there may be other aspects to consider, especially when the patient attends with a friend or family member. Treatment expediency with privacy compliance is about when, why, and how you should treat a patient with respect to obtaining the best possible outcome for them and considerations as to how we deal with a family member or friend who may be present at the same time. Thank you, Kieran. I do think that makes it a lot clearer. Let's talk then about those example patients that you have mentioned. What would you do with the patient that has the ulcer? And this is most definitely a time where expediency is needed. In terms of treating patients with any suspicious looking lesions, we all agree that if it doesn't look right and you're not comfortable with the presentation of the lesion, you should refer the patient immediately and urgently to an appropriate specialist, most likely an oral maxillofacial surgeon or an oral medicine specialist to assess and advise on further treatment needed. So what about the times where the patient isn't as concerned as you are and they may say they're reluctant to see a specialist? Now, sometimes we will see that a patient isn't as concerned as you are and may say that they are reluctant to see a specialist. And this can be a very difficult situation for us to be in. What I usually do in clinic is explain to the patient why I am concerned, what I'm concerned about. And while I try not to, in most cases, may mention to them that I may suspect that it is a malignant or pre-malignant lesion. This will usually get the patient interested in what you're saying, and they will act on your advice and seek the opinion of a specialist. I also tend to tell my patients that while it may be nothing, it's better to, to get an opinion from a specialist for the patients and my peace of mind. And in my experience, most patients are grateful for the frank discussion and will go to see the specialist. What do we do with family members or friends in this situation, Kieran? If the family member is present, you need to be mindful of the patient's right to privacy and confidentiality. The Dental Board's Code of Conduct for Registered Health 
practitioners tells us that practitioners have ethical and legal obligations to protect the privacy of people requiring and receiving care. Patients or clients have a right to expect that practitioners and their staff will hold information about them in confidence unless required to be released by law or public interest considerations. However, it also says that a good partnership between a practitioner and the patient involves encouraging and supporting patient and when relevant, their carers or family in caring for themselves and managing their dental health. This can be quite confusing as on one hand, we have the patient's privacy and on the other, we have the opportunity to discuss our concerns with a family member who may also encourage the patient to seek further help. So this hypothetical situation that we have with the patient with the ulcer, what should we do? My opinion is that the underlying rights lie with the patient and they should not have their autonomy taken away from them by us as clinicians. What I would do in this situation is ask the family member to leave the room and talk one-on-one -on -one with the patient and let them know what my findings and advice is. Hopefully the patient will see that it's important to see the specialist and they understand it will be useful for them to have the support of their family with them. Okay, Kieran, so talking about privacy then, one question members often ask us is what if the patient does not want to be referred? Would you still send the referral letter to a specialist? I think this can be quite tricky, and as we don't know if the patient will agree to the referral and who they will go to, I'd write a letter to an unnamed clinician and give it to the patient so that they can take it with them when or if they do decide to seek further help. If you have an agreement with the patient to say that you can contact their GP or doctor, I would probably send a letter to the patient's GP as well so that at least one other person knows what's happening. I agree this needs to be seen or referred immediately, and hopefully the patient will have the support of their family too. So what about the young child with the stained fissures then? This is a clinical situation we are more likely to see compared to that nasty looking ulcer. And this is also a time where we'll most likely be able to assist the patient directly. The first thing to do from a clinical perspective would be to assess the dentition and determine if you feel that clinical treatment is appropriate. Most times, a stained fissure can be reviewed at a later date, and we can try and help the patient and their parents or guardian understand the importance of diet and oral hygiene in reducing the risk of things getting worse. In this case, given that the patient is a young child, we can talk more freely to their family members that it's very likely that the parents are more likely to control what the patient eats, check that he or she is brushing their teeth appropriately, and may even be helping them with this. So regarding fissure-sealing teeth, it may be possible to wait and watch, but what about if the child's presented with an AVAL's permanent incisor, Kieran? Now, again, this is a situation where expediency is of utmost importance. As we know, the longer a tooth is out of the socket, the more likely it is that the patient will have issues with that tooth later on down the track. Reimplanting the tooth as soon as possible, in most cases, will result in the best outcome for the patient. Again, here you would have to quickly assess the situation and assist the patient by reimplanting the tooth if clinically appropriate to do so. You'll need to get a detailed history from the patient and whoever they attend with, and as always, make sure that your records are very thorough. In this case, the patient will likely attend with a parent, carer, or maybe even a grandparent or an aunt or uncle. 
We need to explain clearly to the family member what the issue is and the treatment available, and hopefully very quickly get on to providing treatment. What are the common pitfalls, Kieran, when we're trying to expedite treatment? If we use the example of the child with the evolved too, I think one of the main issues may be lack of preparedness. All we may know is that the kid had a fall and is coming in to see us. And like some of our medical colleagues, in dentistry, we do not tend to see emergencies that require immediate action. And this can mean that we're not prepared for what to do when a real dental emergency arises. Another aspect of this is that sometimes we're not sure of what we can and can't do when treating a patient. My rule of thumb for this is that if you're able to get the patient's consent to treat, and you're comfortable that the treatment you're proposing is within acceptable standard practice, i.e. what a reasonable group of clinicians would do, you can be comfortable with the treatment options discussed. In trying to expedite treatment, we can sometimes rush, and in rushing, we can make mistakes, which can be detrimental in the long run. Sometimes, when we really want to rush, it may be sensible to take a step back, calmly assess the situation, and take a few deep breaths. It might also be a good idea to rearrange the next patient in the day so that you're not rushing through the appointment. Another thing to think about when expediating treatment is ensuring that afterwards you record your findings, discussions, and treatments provided in very thorough detail. And where does it all go wrong with privacy? The major aspect of privacy to remember when providing urgent or immediate treatment to a patient is that the patient ultimately has the right to decide who you can talk to about them and their treatment. In some cases, while it may be useful for others to know what is going on, we should not take the patient's autonomy away from them. We will talk more in detail about privacy and confidentiality in another podcast, where we will go into much more detail about a clinician's responsibilities. So finally, Kieran, what's your advice on how to set things right from the start? As we've discussed, I think a lack of preparedness when it comes to treatment that may need to be expediated is one of the biggest hurdles. So to overcome this, we can look into CPD in a variety of clinical situations that we may find ourselves in. For example, the evulsed tooth or that aggressive looking intraoral ulcer. The more we expose ourselves to such CPD, hopefully the more alert and assured we are when we have to be providing the treatment. As you've previously mentioned, it's also important to be mindful of ourselves and our well-being as well, and trying to slow things down so that we can really focus on the task at hand and provide the patient with the necessary treatment. Thank you so much, Kieran, for that relevant and helpful content, and thank you to you all for listening. We do hope this podcast was helpful to you, and we look forward to sharing more guidance with you in the future. If you like Dental Protection Podcasts and you'd like to hear more, please subscribe and leave a review.